0: And welcome to the Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number to get a hold of Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910, insuranceandinjurylaw.com, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. How are you, pal?
1: I'm very good. How are you, John?
0: Excellent. We always uh, start the show with a couple cases that uh, that were going on this week to give people a little perspective. you got a couple, yeah?
1: I have a couple. Shoot. In fact, I have a lot more, but good. we only have time for a couple. That's right. Uh, very, very busy week. So let me tell you about one case, one um, uh, uh one individual that called me uh, and he called me because his wife was in an accident. Now get this, John Okay. in 2007. He could have waited a little longer. uh, Seriously. Right. But, but, but get this, he has a lawyer. Okay. okay. There's a law firm that's working for him. And and again, you know, the reason I'm talking about this now is because not because the case closed, but because the case is still ongoing. Right. So we're talking about a case that's been ongoing for eight years. Except for in the absolute rarest of circumstances or when you're dealing with an infant or a child, Mm -hmm. uh, someone that you need to wait and see how the injuries affect them in the long term, uh, there's absolutely no no reason in the world why a case should last uh, for eight years. Typically, we resolve claims within months or maximum within a year or two years. There's no reason for eight years. So, you know, that was the first red flag that I noticed uh, when he called me and told me about the facts of the case. But let me tell you a bit more about the case uh so it, the accident was not her fault. She suffered uh fairly severe injuries throughout her body. uh One of the injuries was a shoulder tear uh sh- she was uh, she She was actually in a wheel trans that collided with a bus Ooh. so obviously she was not at fault. She mm-hmm. was a passenger yep uh now uh, I, I, he told me that they have a pretrial that is scheduled uh very very soon, and a pretrial is is um uh, pretty much the second last step uh, before going to trial in, in, in one of these cases. Okay. And uh, what he told me next really, really shocked me. He said that, uh, and that's the reason, by the way, why he called me. He said that the, his wife's lawyer had uh, his wife in his office and made her sign, uh, I guess, a piece of paper, a document that stated that this is the least amount that she's willing to accept. So in other words... The lawyer wanted instructions ahead of the pretrial that allowed the lawyer to then negotiate whatever deal the lawyer could negotiate in order to resolve the claim. So here's the reason why this is a problem. Because when you go to one of these uh, pretrials or mediations or settlement conferences... The goal, really, for the lawyer representing the injured person is to get as much as they can in compensation for the injured individual.
0: Not tell you how little they're willing to take. Exactly,
1: exactly. And and really, the reason why this lawyer did what he did is because he wanted full control of the process. Well, that's not the way that it should work. The way it should work is that I have my client with me. Like I said, whether it's a settlement conference or Mm -hmm. a mediation or a pretrial, whatever it is. And the the, the the client is right there as I am negotiating. I make sure that I explain every step of the process, and I make sure that I explain to the client, here are the pros and cons of the settlement offers right. as they are exchanged. Uh, you know, a, a, And I, I do know that there are a lot of lawyers out there who do that same thing, that they get their clients to agree ahead of time, what is the minimum that I will accept in my pocket I don't like that approach. Uh, it, it, it effectively allows the lawyer to do whatever they want at the pretrial. There is effectively no accountability for the lawyer because as long as the lawyer can come back and say, well, you authorized me, uh, you know, as long as I'm putting this much in your pocket, we're done. We're done yeah. That's just not the way to do things. So, so very, um, uh, very bad outcome as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but there was something else that really bothered me about that case, which is this. Uh, the husband has been listening to us um here on the show for for quite a while and uh you know he was telling me that not only did his wife when she attended at the lawyer 's office had to sign a document mm-hmm. but that the lawyer really in a way, he said, the way he characterized it is that he said she, he forced her to do it. Like he, he was really adamant. A do or die. D- do this or die, it. effectively, yeah. No. And, and I mean, the, again, there is absolutely no reason for a lawyer to pressure someone, to pressure an individual to agree to something they don't want to agree. Sometimes there's going to be a difference of opinion. I'm, I'm giving my client options. I'm explaining, here's what can happen if you do this or if you do that. I was just at a mediation earlier this week. And that's exactly what happened. You know, there were offers that were being exchanged. And I explained to my client, I said, here's where I think the case should be, what what the numbers should be. Here here are your options. Here's what I think will happen if you choose this option or this option or this option. Here's what I recommend. But there could be other considerations that you want to, you know, think about. Uh, Do you want to speak with your husband? Do you want to speak with a friend? Uh, You know, I'm going to give my recommendation. But I'm never, ever, ever going to force someone to accept something that they feel they should not be accepting for whatever reason. Totally. By the same token, I'm never going to tell you to go ahead and ignore that offer from the other side, even if I think that it's less than what you deserve, if you believe that you should be accepting it because you know your financial reality dictates that you have to accept this. Because the enough. client has ultimate veto when it comes to it, right? It, the client doesn't only have ultimate veto. The client is in the driver's seat. Right. You know, we are – let's put it this way. If you want an analogy here, uh, John, Mm -hmm. the lawyer is the horse here, okay, in in, in this horse and carriage analogy. We're not the ones who are dictating where we're going. We're just pulling the cart. Right. Okay, the client is the one who's dictating where to go and when to stop. Okay. What's your uh, second one of the week? The second one of the week is an interesting one. This is a uh, slip and fall – actually, it's a trip and fall that happened. And uh, it involves a very nice lady, 64-year-old lady, who uh, came outside of a mall and there was a loose tile – and uh, she she tripped. Uh, her her toes hit uh, the the ledge that was created because of the loose right. tile. And uh, you know she came to me initially when we did the intake on the phone when we spoke with her. Somebody from my office spoke with her. Uh, you know it, it almost seemed like it was the, the case. Didn't have much there. I mean the injuries were were, were very uh, uh, simple. The, 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 there was nothing. Did have much that we, teeth? Yeah, the, exactly, exactly. But when she came in and I met with her and we spoke for about an hour. Uh, and, and I looked at some of the medical documents. Well, I'll tell you right now, John, very, very serious case. She was diagnosed with a full tear to her shoulder. Uh, it, it, yeah, really, it seems like it seems like you know. Get this: she was referred to me. She did, she's not a, a radio listener. She was referred to me by a person who works in that mall who apparently said that I had helped his father. I don't know who that individual is.
0: No kidding. Yeah, wow. so,
1: so it, it's obviously nice to get this kind of a referral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, well, let me tell you a little bit more about this. I know we have to go on a break. I'll tell you exactly what happened with this case.
0: Okay, we'll take a short break. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of Savannah anytime outside of show hours as well, 416-216-5910. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the insurance and injury law show coming up. Talk Radio, AM 640. And back into it we go. The number is 416-216-5910. That is Savan's number. Has it on him all the time for the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Plus help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of him through email. We'll get to a few of those uh, a little later on the show, we'll also get to Matt from your firm talking about some stuff when it comes to defending claims, and briefly we'll get to uh, questions about settlements. But first, you wanted to talk about the second case, uh, the week that was we left off last segment with that, and it was some uneven tile. It looked like uh, not a major injury, but it turned into be something a lot bigger, right?
1: Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean we're we're dealing with a lady who suffered a full thickness tear to her shoulder, and the interesting thing is that when I when I was uh, inquiring a bit more about that loose tile. It seems like the individual that uh, came out of the mall and helped her out and told her to call me, Mm -hmm. uh, his comment to her was that this has been an ongoing issue uh, for the last couple of years, and and there's been countless people who have been tripping on that same tile. It's a known tile. And get this, John, we've been telling management at the mall about this issue, and they haven't done anything. Perfect. So what did the husband do? Very smart husband, did exactly what I usually tell people to do, which is to take pictures. pictures. Now, he didn't take pictures that day, but he went two days later and the whole area there was cornered off. So there are pylons, there is tape, there is everything. Right. So now we have those photographs. So you can imagine that yeah. when we make a claim, and this is not going to be a difficult claim to resolve at all. I mean, the, the, the injury is objective. We, we can see it on an MRI, on an mm-hmm. ultrasound. Uh, and we know that the mall obviously, as per that person who told my client. They're that, aware of it, right? They're aware of it. They knew that there were issues. So, of course, I'm going to be asking the mall, well, you know, how many people have complained about this? How many incidents have you had? Again, very, very important that people get legal advice when something like this happens because you never know. An injury may not seem like something big. I mean, initially Mm -hmm. when she was injured, she didn't think that it was going to be that bad. Uh, But but then when she went and had an ultrasound done, you know, it revealed that there was a full tear. And for somebody at that age, uh, that could develop into a frozen shoulder. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could mean limitations in how she uses her arm in terms of of, uh, uh, picking things up or, or moving it it can affect every part of our life. So very, very important that when something like this happens, uh, you get the proper legal advice very quickly.
0: Let me ask you a question about your question to how many other people have probably tripped over that tile. So if you were to bring that up, um, if there's say, two, three, four more people, more than just your client have tripped over that tile, would that A, strengthen your case, and B, do they have to turn over any records of people complaining before your client about that to you?
1: Very interesting question. So in terms of strengthening the case, yes, definitely. Okay. Because if you have an issue, if, if it comes up through the claims process that they knew about this, uh, then obviously the question is, well, why didn't you rectify the situation? Right. I, I, I'm not even saying that you should have fixed it. Of course you should have, but why not even corner off that area? Like recognize it. Recognize right. it, exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, 100%. I mean, this this makes the life of a defense lawyer very hard when they look at their file that they get from the insurance company and they see that there were prior instances, uh, you know, that the, this problem was known before. Uh, so, so that answers your first question. Yes, it does strengthen the case. Uh, the second question you had, what was it?
0: Do, do you have access to other complaints by other people if they've been made prior to your client?
1: Well, we're going to make that request from the insurance company, okay. from the defense lawyer for the insurance company. There's an argument always as to whether or not they should be able to produce that. Right. Generally speaking, that is relevant. It, it's, it's a relevant question to ask, relevant information to obtain. Good. Uh, so I'll tell you this. If, if I'm uh, speaking with a defense lawyer and I'm asking him, uh, you know, have there been any other issues in this area because of this tile? Uh, if he answers me, well, that's not relevant. The first thing I'm thinking is, well, the answer is yes. It's the only relevant. That's the only, exact. <laughs> well, uh, the inference is that you're okay. just, you're not telling me because right. if, the, if the answer was no, you would have told me no. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it does help out. And it's something that we do ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the insurance company is probably going to have a log of, of all those prior incidents.
0: The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan or help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you have any questions, we'll get into some emails uh, a little later on here. Let's get into questions about about settlements. So how frequently do people try to settle on their own? I know they do this with auto insurance all the time, but they how do. often do they do?
1: They do. It, it happens quite often. and. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was talking about two cases uh, when we started the show. Well, here's, here's another call that I got this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an individual who was referred to me months and months ago. Uh, his father was uh, a cyclist and was hit by a car. Uh, and uh, in any event, I gave him some information back then. They decided to try and resolve the case on their own. So he contacted me on behalf of his father this week. Yep. And now, guess what? Not, not to review the amounts that are being proposed by the insurance company. He's, he actually explicitly said to me, that's not what I want to talk to you about. He wants to talk to me about the releases, right, those documents uh, that the insurance company wants you to sign in okay. exchange for giving you the money. A- and, you know, it seems nonsensical to me. I mean, f- I, and I had no issue doing that, obviously, because that's what he was requesting. But you don't want my advice as to whether or not the amounts are appropriate. You just want my advice as to whether or not what you're signing uh, it yeah. is, is kosher. I mean, it makes no sense to me. So so that's something that does come up quite often and that people try to resolve these claims on their own for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they were told by a lawyer like myself that, you know, you should try to resolve it on your own. And I rarely say that. I only say that when the case, when it's clear to me that I can't really do much for you. So I'll tell you, here's what I think you should do. Mm-hmm. Don't waste time and money on a lawyer or a paralegal. Try and do it yourself. Yeah. But those are rare, rare occasions uh, most times when people try and do it on their own, it's because they obviously mistrust lawyers. Yeah. And I understand that. I right. understand that you know, lawyers generally don't have the best reputation. Right. Uh, they, they, uh, they may think that, oh, well, I don't need this lawyer because I can negotiate something by myself. Uh, why should I have to pay the lawyer for that? Right. Well, the answer for that is… is That's is, why you went to school. It's why you went to school. <laughs> and, and, and also, there is a power imbalance. You are dealing with insurance companies. That's yeah. all they do. These adjusters are extremely experienced extremely educated uh, within that particular field. and uh, You're totally outgunned. I- you're outgunned. I mean, yeah. un- unless, unless you're in the industry, unless, unless you're an adjuster yourself or you, you know what you're doing, you know how to assess claims, mm-hmm. you could potentially be settling your own claim or your friend's claim or your family member's claim for one-tenth, one-twentieth of for what it's sure. worth. And once you settle, you're done. The case is over.
0: We'll take a short break, get to more of that, questions about settlements. You have uh, some questions yourself. You can answer them, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll try to answer as many as we can. Uh, during this hour as well, 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. We'll get to more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. And back at it indeed with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show here. You want to get a hold of Savan? His number is 416-216-5910, and the email address is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. We're talking about settlements. Now, you get this all the time with, you know, people buy a new car, then they go down the road to another dealership, go, do I get a good price? Well, I'm not going to tell you, you should have come to me, but right. um, do they come to you uh, to review those settlements after they've, they've gone through them?
1: Yeah, they do. Nice. Uh, <laughs> now, that's more rare uh, because yep. oftentimes people understand that, you know, once they sign line you know, what's the purpose of getting another opinion just, right. just to know how badly you did? I mean, what's the point? Uh, but, but it does happen. And I can tell you that probably 90% of the time, uh, yeah, the settlements are, are under what they should be. And, and when I say under, I mean that, you know, someone settles for $5,000, $10,000, a claim that sh- is easily worth fifty, sixty, maybe even $100,000. And again, oops, big oops. And, and it's it's really an art to say it in a way that Doesn't make them want to go and and, you know jump off a ledge, Uh, because it's it's uh, they think that that you know they're they're smart and most people you know when they're doing this they're doing this trying to understand exactly what they've lost. So so for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, Typically, somebody who comes to me who who you know settled on their own Mm -hmm. uh, will assume that because they were off work for three months and got compensated for those three months. That that's it, that that's all they can get. Even Steven. Right. I- exactly. Yeah. But, but you know, a particular situation that I had, exactly that. Somebody was offered three months because of an accident, but then when he came back to work, he had a lot of difficulty sitting right. down. It was a desk job, so he had a lot of modifications at work. You know, the guy was in his early 50s. And when I was asking him questions about, you know, well, do you think you're going to have to take more time off in the future, or have you used sick days, uh, which you know we've talked yeah. about before is compensable? Uh, do you think you're going to have to retire early? The answer was yes to all these questions. Well, <laughs> oh, come on. So you know, the fact that they paid you, you know, twelve grand for the last three months that you weren't able to work, what about yeah. the next? That's not you know, a windfall. Si- no, the next yeah. 16 years. This is a case that could and, and liability was on issue He was not at fault for the accident. Wow. This was a case that could have easily easily resolved for any. From fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, if not more, so and he settled kinda, for twelve thousand dollars. You just kind of break it to him gently. Right?
0: Uh, y- yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You like, do you say- like Porsches? Because you <laughs> you probably could have had one. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you don't like them, that's fine. But you probably could have. Had who likes one, Porsches, John? Generalize. Come on, you know who likes mean? Porsches. Come well, that takes me to the, uh, the last question, really, of this of uh, this of this cluster, and that is uh, why should people consult with you before signing off on a settlement? For that reason, yeah.
1: Yeah, for that reason, exactly. Not to make a fatal mistake like that. Yeah. That's, that's a big mistake, especially if, you know, you have family relying on you, especially if you know you're going to need certain treatments in the future. Uh, you know, if you close, if you allow the insurance company to goad you into closing the door, uh, to have you sign that piece of paper that they relish so much, mm-hmm. that release, uh, once you do that, it's done. And, and you know, saying, coming back and saying, oh, it was duress and, and, you know, they forced me, the court's not going to buy that. The court's like certainty, so if you if you decide to do it on your own and, and you know, you get a bad deal, mm-hmm. then you're stuck with that deal. It's that simple. So very important, don't settle on your own. Make sure you get proper legal advice. doesn't take long. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, you could, uh, you get, I'm not going to say you're going to save money. You're actually going to get compensated fully right. for what you should be.
0: 416-216-5910. That's uh, Savan's number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. I'll rip through an email here before we get to, uh, To Matt, uh, just across the uh, the console here, says, Steve from Oxbridge, I had a car accident last October, and my doctor says that I'm still not ready to go back to work. I've had surgery on my knee and have a hard time walking. I heard you say before on a previous show that when someone is injured in an accident and hasn't been able to go back to work, start a claim very quickly. Well, well, how quickly is quickly, is what he's saying. I'm afraid that uh, my lawyer is just not doing anything on my case.
1: Well, Steve, uh, if the accident happened last October and and we're now in March, uh, almost at the end of March. If yes. the claim still hasn't started when you haven't been working all this time, something is definitely wrong. This could be one of those cases, John, where the lawyer says we have to wait a year, which, you know, I, I hate when someone yeah, well, says then, that yeah. uh, because it's just an arbitrary number that people give, that lawyers give. Um, this, is, this seems to me like a fairly s- significant case. I mean, if he injured his knee, he had to have surgery on it. I, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of work he does, but... If for the last, uh, what, uh, five, six months he hasn't worked, the lawyer should have started the claim ASAP. He should have been getting accident benefits, including income replacement benefits from his own insurance company. And that's right away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right away. I mean, it's important for people to understand that if if you're not getting the answers from your lawyer as to why your claim is just uh, stalled, if nothing is happening, if there's no logic to what is happening, you know, ask questions. Ask what. Que- when, when you speak with a lawyer, make sure you understand the process. Make sure you understand how, you know, the timelines. Mm-hmm. How long does it take, uh, n- not, not to get money, but how long does it take from one step to the next? It's just it's amazing to me, John, how many times I speak with people who have been, who are with other lawyers, and I have to go through the absolute beginning to explain, not in legalese, just explain basic concepts. Yeah. You know, what is your claim about? You slipped and fell. Well, who may be responsible here? You know, people will come to me, with with the claim itself uh, that the lawyer has initiated, a- and they won't understand why certain parties are part of the claim, and I have to ask some questions to ascertain that myself. So very very important. My the, my, my my point is, Steve. Uh, you know, give me a call off air. We'll talk about it. Uh, you know. Maybe there's a good reason for the lawyer not to have started the claim, but generally speaking, if you haven't been working uh, for a few weeks, for a few months after an accident, the claim should already have been started. And
0: plus, you've said before in past shows that if if you sit back in your laurels and you go two, three years in, you go, now it's a catch-22 because nothing's getting done, but the flip side is if you bail on that lawyer, now you're going to get a big fat legal bill at the end, and you're, you're still no farther ahead, so you're kind of stuck. You're absolutely right.
1: right. And, and, you know, uh, last week I, I, had, um, I had a lady come to me. She had a fairly severe ankle fracture. Man and I were actually speaking about that on the way here. Uh, she, she had a very severe fracture. I'm not going to go into the facts, except that, uh, you know, she's represented by a law firm. The case has been ongoing for about a year and a half uh, or so. Uh, I've met with her for about, a, I'd say, about an hour and a half, very sweet lady, very nice lady. And, and I'll tell you this, John, there were a few things there in the claim uh or, or that that I reviewed that I thought to myself, well, I would do things a bit differently than that lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see any major red flags. So I actually said to her, I said, you know, I don't know that lawyer but from everything I'm seeing here, I don't think he's doing a bad job. I don't think I don't think that the timelines are off. I don't think that you know his offers are off. Yeah. I- again, there's going to be differences in opinion, just like in any specialty. One engineer may not agree with another sure. engineer, or a doctor with a doctor. So, I- I- if you come to me and you speak with me and you're frustrated about something, first of all, go to your lawyer first. Ask questions. But you know, if there are major issues, major delays. Sometimes you need to get that second opinion. And uh, I'm not always going to tell you to leave. Certainly not to leave to me, but I'm going to go through it. I'm going to tell you. You know, this is this is a horrible situation. You should leave. Whether you switch to me or to somebody else, it's your call. Right. Uh, but sometimes I'll tell you, just like this lady last week. Keep it on. Keep it on. He's yeah. not doing anything wrong. He's actually doing things, uh, you know, fairly well.
0: We'll get Matt on the show here in a minute after we take a break. The number 416-216-5910 and help at the ca. You want to drop us an email like Steve did. We'd love to get to you. Uh, within the hour, Insurance and Injury Law Show continues right here at Talk Radio AM 640. And back at it, more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio AM 640. Savan is our host. He's brought his uh, his co-host uh, from his law firm, Matt, is here. And you want to ask us a question, either Matt or Savan, uh, not me because I have no legal ease. but you can email these guys. I just simply sit here and, and, and keep a chair warm. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and 416-216-5910. So uh, Matt is back this week. Good to have him here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And we're going to get you in uh, talking about questions about defending claims. Now, I'll start off with this. Uh, You've told me off air that your legal team also defends people in a car accident, slip and falls, etc. Tell me more about that.
2: That's right. I think one thing that people, uh, a lot of people don't know that they really should is when we're dealing with defendants in car accident or slip and fall matters, we're primarily dealing with the insurance companies. Uh, and it's the insurance company that covers the legal fees uh, and also the, the insurance company that will cover the damages uh, sustained to the, to the plaintiff or the person bringing the claim up to that uh, defendant's policy limits.
1: Let's, uh, let's give some context here because Matt's completely right. Oftentimes we see situations where someone comes to us because they were involved in a car accident uh, and, and, and for whatever reason their insurance company is telling them that they're not going to defend them. Uh, they're not going to defend them for a variety of reasons. Maybe uh, they were driving without a license. Maybe so- something happened and they're not defending them. Well, what do you do? You get this claim. You get served with this claim. Who do you go to? What, right. what lawyer do you go to? Uh, there are not a lot of lawyers out there that don't work for insurance companies that do this kind of work on behalf of individuals. A- and that's the kind of stuff that we do as well. Uh, when someone thinks that they have protection, uh, th- th- you know, they think that they have uh, coverage, uh, an insurance company behind them to protect them if they're sued, right. and uh, that turns out not to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, we had a case, uh, Matt and I, uh, just last week on Friday with a lady who owns a property here in Toronto, and she was renting uh, I think uh, the basement, as well as some, uh, you know, the, the upper room uh, in, in, in the um, uh, house. And there was a slip and fall on her property by one of those tenants. And what did she do? That lady that allegedly was injured, she sued the homeowner, this okay. lady who came to see us. Right. And uh, Matt, I mean, you can take it from there, but this is a case where the insurance company for the house, the lady's insurance company, said that they're not going to cover her. Or, or that they're investigating as to whether or not they are going to cover her.
2: Sure, that's right. So that's a big issue. I mean, if your insurance company is saying that you're denying coverage, you might be on the hook for all the damages that are sustained to the extent that they're your fault. Um. Oh, wow. right. So it can it can get pretty ugly. And that's the same if if you don't have insurance at all. Then you're responsible for all the legal fees, and you're also responsible for the damages to the extent that, that you're that, that, you know that you're at fault for the uh, for the injuries. Um. Uh. What
0: if a what if if it's a, a car situation I get hit by someone I'm maybe not critically injured but my car is pretty dinged up maybe I've got a whiplash and he's got no insurance got nothing some punk kid
1: Well if he's got no insurance uh, and you have valid insurance yes then there is a provision in your insurance policy it's called uh, it's an endorsement it's called endorsement um, OPC of 44R uh, and, and by the way everyone has that or everyone should have that as part of their insurance policy yeah. auto policy uh, that if someone hits you if someone is at fault for the accident Uh, and you're injured, and that person has no insurance or or has uh, the minimum amount of insurance, you can go after your own insurance company as though that insurance company, your insurance company, was the defendant's insurance company. You get what I'm saying? So the point is that there is a safety net there. If somebody hits you and they have no insurance, you have recourse as against your own insurance company. It doesn't matter how critically injured you are. No, it doesn't matter wow. at all. No, I mean, wow. there's going to be a certain limit in, yep. in terms of money, but uh, you know, generally speaking, it's a million dollars. But yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely uh, entitled to do that.
0: 416-216-5910, help at the insurance say We'll get to uh, Lauren here. Writes in says, I fell on ice in January after coming out of my grocery store. I broke my wrist and was told that it'll take a while before it heals. I was working as a bartender and hadn't been able to go back to work, obviously. I got a call from the insurance adjuster who asked to come by to talk to me. Is that okay for me to speak with him?
2: Well, I think the problem here that you really want to be careful with is, is just like the settlements that Savannah was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. When you're dealing with these insurance adjusters, you're dealing with somebody that, that really specializes in the area, and, and you don't, Lauren, unfortunately. Um, and the other thing, too, that you need to know is they're recording everything you say. So if down the road you change your story to a certain degree, that's going to affect your credibility. So I, I wouldn't tell you to, to not speak to them at all. Um, but you want to be very, very careful what you're saying and what you're discussing uh, and and always getting a legal opinion based on the severity of your injuries um, and the the damages that you sustained is very important. so if you if you aren't able to go back to work, that claim could be very significant, and the insurance adjuster might try to settle it with you for something much, much less than the actual value of the claim.
0: It can be as dangerous as just a couple words you've said that can completely foul up your claim.
2: Right? absolutely, especially if you're not if you don't know, You know, especially with a liability context, if you're not sure what you should or shouldn't say, um, you could just admit your own fault for the accident and they're going to pay you nothing.
0: So, say I was wise, I got in uh, said altercation, not an altercation, but I did slip and fall, I was hurt, and I was smart enough to go out and retain you as a lawyer. They call me, what's my answer?
1: Your answer is you speak with my lawyer. They can no longer talk to you and harass you. No, and they know that. I've had situations where adjusters uh, persist and still want to contact the, uh, the individual. That's against all the rules, and I'll tell you, I mean, when that happens, we immediately shoot off a letter to the manager uh, of, of that adjuster. Uh, because it's, it's very simple. I mean, we know exactly who that person is, who the insurance company is. They're not allowed. If there is a lawyer involved, uh, then you direct all, all, all the correspondence, whether it's, it's somebody 's con- contacting you by fax, by email, by phone. You tell them, I have a lawyer. Speak with that lawyer. A- and there's a reason for that. I mean, just, just this past week, I had a client that, uh, again, suffered a fairly significant ankle fracture. We notified the city of Toronto. It was on their property. And the letter from the adjuster asked me to allow a statement with my client. And I said, no, I'm not going to allow a statement. What I will do, however, is I will give you some more information, the information you're asking about exactly where the fall occurred, uh, the the, the type of injury sustained, income loss, all that kind of stuff. But you want to avoid having uh, someone who's not represented speak with an insurance adjuster, uh, particularly when you're dealing with an insurance adjuster for the property where you fell, or an insurance adjuster in the context of a car accident, you know, who represents the other driver. Right. Because their interest is to protect their client, not you. Mm -hmm. So if they can come to you, take a statement, record it as Matt says, and somehow gets you to say something that's, you know, that hurts you. Which they probably can. Which which they probably can because, you know, most of us, uh, most people out there, if you're not a lawyer, you don't deal in this area of law, you know, we use words in different contexts. Well, in this context, in personal injury, uh, words have to be very specific, very, very specific. And, and if you misuse those words, they're going to come back and haunt you.
0: Take a short break, 416-216-5910 and help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of us. Savannah. Savan, we'll get into some uh, chronic pain questions, possibly some about long-term disability as well. If you're suffering from each of those or familiar with, we'll get to that in our next part of our show on the Insurance and Injury Law Show on talk radio, AM640. And back at it, the number 416-216-5910 to get a hold of us uh, here. Savannah or Matt at the Insurance and Injury Law Show, help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email guys let's move on to uh, some chronic pain uh, in many cases people in car accidents develop chronic pain what is it exactly well
1: chronic pain is uh, y- you're right unfortunately chronic pain is, is quite common uh, and effectively it's it's pain to a particular part of the body or to the entire body really that develops over uh, months and sometimes years and you know the, the the definition itself of chronic pain is that it's chronic, is that it's ongoing, is that it doesn't mm-hmm. go away within a week or two weeks or three weeks. Uh, and it's not something you can see on an x-ray or an MRI. Uh, there's no uh, organic basis for it per se. You know, it, it's not like a, a broken arm or, or a torn ligament. A- and, you know, the problem is that oftentimes with chronic pain, there is a psychological component. So, you know, you're in pain, you can't sleep, you know, you become more depressed, you're moody it affects the way you function and then in turn that affects you know, your family or your friends and you see that and that affects you even more. So mm-hmm. you know, chronic pain, generally speaking, is, is sort of a condition that evolves over time. And by the way, it can evolve from an organic injury. I mean you can have, for example, a spinal fracture or a torn ligament mm-hmm. that heals or, or, or at least stabilizes, but then you develop a certain pain that just subsists and continues on and on and on. Very, very frequent and very, very common. So why are insurance companies so
0: skeptical about this type well, of behavior? Well,
1: you know, I'm going to turn that over to Matt. Uh, both Matt and I uh, used to work for insurance companies, and, uh, you know, he, he certainly has a lot of experience in that and I'm sure uh, has taken a very hard line in the past uh, with people who were complaining of chronic pain.
2: Yeah, for sure. And really the reason that insurance companies or defense counsel can be so skeptical is because you, you really can't prove it. Uh, it really comes down to the credibility of the plaintiff, um, and and just as Savannah mentioned as well, there's no X-ray evidence. You can't look at a broken bone and say, "Oh, okay. Well, obviously, I can see why there's some pain there. The you know the bone's broke. Uh, the the bone is broken." For sure. Um, and uh, it really comes down to the believability of the plaintiff. You know, is this someone that we trust? Because really, it's just their word against you know the defense lawyer saying, "I, I you know what? I think they're just making it up. They're just saying they're hurt." And
1: and, and you know you know John, uh, these kinds of cases are really really tricky. And this is where you often see. Uh, lawyers representing injured individuals who really miss the mark, who are not doing what they're supposed to do. How do you build up a case of chronic pain? You have a client who's obviously in pain, and and I mean, you know, I have a pretty good radar when, when I meet with someone, especially if I meet them in their home with their families. I know if they're lying to me or not. How do you prove the fact that they are in a debilitating state? Well, one way to do it is to get witness statements from from family members, from friends, maybe do a video, uh, you know, that shows family uh, and and friends talk about how the accident has changed the life of this individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, perhaps you get uh, the the person to be seen by certain experts, uh, like a physiatrist as an example, someone who can uh, give an opinion about this chronic pain. They have a lot of experience in that. There are chronic pain doctors out there.
0: Yeah, that that would be my go-to right away if thinking about this topic because you need doctors saying, you know, he had this injury. Yeah, it looks like it's healed, but there's often in cases like this, people with this get chronic pain for years and years, right?
1: Right. The the only, uh, I guess, I was going to say it's an issue, but it's not an issue. It's just that it's something that people need to be aware of. If I have a doctor that confirms that my client has chronic pain, I can guarantee you the defense lawyer is going to send my client to one of their doctors who's going to confirm that No, they don't have chronic pain. And and then you're going to have this this duality of, of medical opinions that are battling each other. And if you have to go down the road to, let's say, a court, of course, most of these cases never reach court, but if you have to go to court, who would a judge believe? You know, this doctor or that doctor. That's why it's so imperative to handle these kinds of claims correctly. So, for example, if somebody has chronic pain and has difficulties at work, I will get a statement, or I'll contact the uh, the employer, Colleagues, or perhaps coworkers. Exactly, right? Exactly. You yeah. got it. Exactly. This is a, it, it's common sense when I'm talking about. It, but it's something that many lawyers don't do, and, and and so by not doing it, the claim is not strengthened. It's actually weakened because the defense lawyer then takes the position, well, you haven't proven the chronic pain. You know, we don't believe that your client should be entitled to all this compensation that you're claiming. Very, very important to do absolutely everything and and bring out all the indicator from from the peripheries. You know, the family, the friends, the coworkers. I had a client recently who had her pastor uh, um, support her in, in 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 you know the the proceedings that we were initiating. Again, very, very important. These are these are things that if lawyers don't do, then their clients end up suffering.
0: Very high success rate, you'd say. Very you high use success rate. Periphery, yeah,
1: yeah, extremely high Because if you think about it this way, if if I go to trial again, most of these cases never reach court. I yep. want people to understand that it's very rare for these cases to go to court. But let's say I go to court, uh, and, and I have a doctor, and, and the defense has a doctor. Well, you know, who knows which doctor is right. is correct? But if I have neighbors, if I have friends, if I have coworkers. How are you, as a defense lawyer, going to undermine all these people? I mean, unless you say that I'm paying each one of them, which, of course, I'm not. These are called lay witnesses. How are you going to undermine them? They have credibility. So, if you have a jury, you have a judge that listen not only to the doctor, not only to to the family members, but to the colleagues, to the to the perhaps the employer, perhaps uh, I, I don't know somebody else that you know neighbors very, very powerful in proving these kinds of claims. It's a lot more ironclad, right? A lot more. Yeah.
0: Let me get to one email before we take a break. Sandra from Toronto says, I've been suffering from a rare spinal condition that causes tremendous back pains for the last three years. I'm on morphine and other medications. My long-term disability insurer recently wrote me saying that they believe that I can do some form of work, and my specialist already wrote them saying, this is impossible. What can I do?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, Well, (laughs) unfortunately, we see a lot of that Mm -hmm. uh, where insurance companies uh, come to the conclusion somehow... Uh, with i don 't know what evidence that people who have been on disability for quite a while can do some form of work well sandra if you've been on uh, uh, if, if you have this condition and, and you have doctors who are supporting you, uh, really there is absolutely no reason why mm-hmm. the long term disability insurer is saying that you should be able to go back to work and oftentimes, John, when we start a claim and I put that to the uh, to the insurer or to their lawyer, uh, they come back empty a- and they come back empty. With a settlement offer or, or with, with an offer to reinstate the benefits. You know, so really, if you have a specialist, Sandra, that, that is uh, treating you, that is confirming that you cannot go back to work, mm-hmm. your insurance company likely has no leg to stand on. So give me a call, very simple to resolve, probably a few letters, and, and you know we can get this done.
0: That number is 416-216-5910. You prefer to email, you can start there as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the insurance and injury law show coming up after the break on Talk Radio AM 640. And back at it, the number is 416-216-5910. The email is simple as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I want to get in uh, for the last uh, few minutes here, guys, talking about long-term disability. I'll throw it out there right away. You represent a lot of people who've been cut off their long-term disability,
1: what can you do for them? Well, first of all, what, what we do is we assess the claim. We figure out what exactly is the reason for the cutoff. Uh, you know, occasionally, the insurance companies are actually right. The person is able to go back to work. They don't meet the definition of disability. Oftentimes, however, insurers do exactly what uh, you know, they're mandated to do uh, by their own internal policies, mm-hmm. which is to try and save money by cutting people off. And so when somebody is a long-term disability and they come to me and I, and I assess the claim and I think that they should not have been cut off, uh, then th- there are really two things that I'm trying to achieve, or, or one of two things. Either I try to re- have them reinstated so that they get retroactively uh, payment from when they were cut off mm-hmm. until a certain date when they get reinstated, and then they start getting the payments again on a monthly basis, or... I try to resolve their claim in their entirety. Now, sometimes insurance companies and individuals would rather not have this ongoing relationship. They would rather just come to some kind of an all-inclusive settlement uh, to take into account uh, past benefits, a portion of the future benefits, mm-hmm. and call it a day. A- and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it really depends on the situation. It depends on the case, and it depends on the individual and the insurance company. But those are the two options. Either reinstate the benefits so that the person starts getting the benefits again, or come to some kind of a global resolution of the claim.
0: If you've got such a uh, you know, high rate of success, why do, why do insurers bother cutting off long-term disability?
1: For a very simple uh, reason, John. Most people don't consult an insurance lawyer. They don't. So what happens when they don't? They just back off. They back away. So insurance companies in a claim, for example, uh, uh, where, where someone may be entitled to, let's say, $100,000 right. in terms of settlement value for their claim, I'm just throwing out a number. Uh, maybe the person uh, never heard me on the radio. Maybe no one told them that they can actually do something. You know, they're thinking, oh, this is an insurance company. It's like a David and Goliath situation. You know, whenever, when, whenever someone tells me that, you know, fighting an insurance company is like David and Goliath, I always tell them, well, who won that battle? Who won that battle? At the end of the day, Goliath was, was, was taken down. Right. Insurance companies are simply betting on most people walking away that 's just the reality that 's the way it works and, and frankly, John, even when I worked as a defense lawyer uh, you know years ago, I, I can tell you that there were many instances where the insurance company hired me to deal with individuals directly when they had no lawyers, and a lot of times I was able to get people to simply walk away They just turtle they, they, yeah, they do they do because they just they, they, you know they don 't have the stamina they think it 's going to be a long battle, they think it 's going to be very costly. Nonsense! Absolute nonsense. Insurance companies are in the business of saving money. And as soon as you get a lawyer and the lawyer tells you that you have a case, assuming the lawyer knows what he or she is doing, Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that there is going to be a resolution of your claim. Either it's going to be a resolution that everyone likes or it's going to be a resolution that obviously someone doesn't like. But, you know, frankly, if the lawyer is taking on the case, presumably the lawyer is assuming or assessing the case as having a certain settlement value. Right. So, what are the pros and cons of say getting a lump sum
0: settlement versus uh, you mentioned having benefits reinstated what's well, better to do
1: you know it really depends on the case and and i I say that because uh, in some instances sometimes you have health benefits for example through work or or you have cer- certain uh, you know benefits uh, uh, you know such as pension contributions uh, f- uh through your employer. a lot of times these ltd policies don't um, you know they don't uh, uh, allow for that. Sure. A- and by not allowing for that, by settling with them, you could be prejudicing, uh, you know, your, your th- these type of benefits. So, you know, a lot of times you would want to continue the benefits if only because a global settlement will not account for all the losses you're going to incur if, in fact, you'll settle for a lump sum. Oh, I see. Okay. Now, keep in mind another thing. Let's say I'm able to get a reinstatement of a policy. So let's say you came to me because the insurance company cut you off. I was able, you know, six months from now, uh, I was able to pressure the insurance company to reinstate you. Well, what does that mean? it means that your relationship with the insurance company is now going to go ahead. It's mm-hmm. going to, you know, you're going to continue, continue right? benefits. But that also means that a year from now they can harass you again. A- and maybe they'll they'll stop paying you then and you'll hire me again. I'm doing it again and a- again and exa- and again. You got it, exactly. Yeah. And for many people, just that, just that aspect of dealing with the insurer, with the adjuster, that could be even worse than the ailment or, or right. you know, the injury that they're suffering from. So for a lot of people, they just want to have, you know, peace of mind. They want to close the file. They want to, you know, they'll take a discount on on future benefits. Just let's to move say, on. Just to move yeah, on. No, Let, no, let's no. say, you know, I'm entitled to ten years more of benefits. I'll accept five years worth of, of compensation just so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. And so I know I have this money in my pocket now.
0: Let me get to one email before we close for uh, for this weekend. Uh, Chuck from Oshawa says. I was crossing the road on a green sign when a car made a right turn and hit me. Happened three uh, three weeks ago, and I haven't been able to work. I'm a contractor. I don't have insurance, and I'm worried about paying the mortgage. Not sure what I can do. Can I make some kind of claim? Throw that one to you, Matt.
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, Chuck, the one thing I want to point out to you is you're you're a pedestrian in this accident, and because you're a pedestrian, you're actually afforded some protections that uh, that other people aren't when they're uh, they're in a car. Right. Um, so, the first thing that I want to mention is. Typically in actions, the plaintiff has to prove that the defendant was negligent in some way, Uh, but there's a reverse onus in this case. So that means that the defendant, because you're a pedestrian, has to prove that they didn't act negligently. Now, if you're crossing on a green light, that seems to be not an issue at all. so there shouldn't be much of a liability battle. Um, and, and the other thing is, even if you don't have insurance, it's the vehicle that hits you that you'll actually be claiming your accident benefits from. So you can make a claim immediately, and, and I would suggest, especially if you're off work, you talk to someone quickly about it.
0: Good uh, good week, guys. Any final tips before we close, Sivan?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If if you have any of these uh, questions, and, and John, I, since we started the show uh, last year, I, I've been getting them, you know, left, right, and center through email, through voicemail, mm-hmm. uh, people calling us at the office it's not going to cost you anything to talk to us. Uh, you know, oftentimes, um, if you talk to us at the beginning, at least you know what your options are. Sure. Don't wait until it's too late. That's that's the only thing I can tell you, To that yeah. people should be taking away from this. Uh, it does happen. People call me and, you know, they've missed the limitation period for starting a claim or, you know, the, the the case is so far gone with another law firm that's not doing anything on the case that I can't do anything to help right. them except to point out what perhaps they can do to rectify some issues. Right. Uh, so, you know, just give us a call or, or email us. You'll find that we're very, very responsive. And at the end of the day, it's really your case. I mean, it's, it's your life. So, so why not get the, the legal advice you need to make sure that uh, you get the compensation that you deserve?
0: And that number again, 416-216-5910. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll do it all again next weekend right here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640.